I think it's not going to just like be on a, a perfect upward path to mainstream adoption. There's going to be ups and downs, but long term, I am really you know optimistic about the space. And the main reason being is just because like if you ask someone if they've heard of an NFT, they might say yes. If you ask them to like explain what an NFT is, they probably won't know how. So I think there's a, a big learning curve here and. Once, you know, the mainstream population really starts to understand NFTs, I think that's when we can, you know, get to mainstream adoption. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk about software and technology and programming and I don't know, whatever's on our mind. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Ben. How's it going? How are the chickens? Oh, the chickens are so good. Actually, well, if I'm being honest, we lost three out of the four ducks. No. So, what happened? Like they went, they ran away? No, I think they were predated. What does predated mean? Predator. It means that they got eaten. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way <laughs> to nice say way that. a nice way of saying something got them. Yeah. Do you and have duck predators use a big $4 word, people don't know. Yeah, I think it was a bobcat. There's a local bobcat. Crazy. So it, it was a, you know, the cycle of life continues. We raise the animals, we feed the animals, they feed us, and then something feeds on them. I think I should start a substack, like a newsletter that's about being a technology person who lives in the wilderness. Do you think there's other people like that? Um, would you call it the wilderness or a... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it Click Farm. Click farm. That's great. Click farm. Yeah, I like okay, that good. a lot. Sarah, for people who don't know, tell them just who you are and what you do at Stack Overflow. Oh, I'm Sarah Chips. I'm the director of community here at Stack Overflow. And so you work on our community with our community team and our public public platform, right? Yes, our hundred million users. So many of them. We have two wonderful folks joining us today on the podcast. And Sarah, you know at least one of them very well. You want to introduce? Yeah, so I've been really getting into this whole NFT thing, thanks to my brother, Evan. He works at a company called Gemini. They have a product called Nifty Gateway. And so I asked him to come on the show so he can educate other people, along with the head of artist relations at Nifty Gateway. Um, welcome my brother, Evan, and Tommy Kimmelman. Hey, Sarah and Ben. Thanks for Hey, guys. Hello. Thanks for having welcome. us on. Thanks for coming on. So just for some context... I often have to sit with Ben and our other con uh, co-host while they make fun of crypto for a solid half hour. <laughs> they are not believers. Uh -uh. No, no, no. Our absent co-host is the real naysayer. Yeah. Okay, that's true. So it might be helpful. Ben, I don't know if you need a quick primer on NFTs. So maybe, Tommy, can you tell us a little bit about what NFTs are? Yeah, definitely. NFTs are a token that exists on the Ethereum blockchain, and it can be used for a lot of different applications uh, like digital art, in-game items. Basically, what they provide is a way to assign value and ownership over uh, a digital item. So yeah, similar to like if you purchase uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, what you're really getting is uh, a token. An NFT is similar in that you are getting a token, but there's some sort of file or other item attached to it. So with, with Nifty Gateway, we've built a digital art platform where we take these NFT tokens and assign image files to them created by digital artists. And it's pretty cool. Basically, it just provides a way for you to own a digital item, prove that you own it and track ownership on the blockchain. And so you were saying like in-game items you know, those obviously have had value for a long time. If you played like World of Warcraft or something, you know, you can, you know, trade items, you can 
farm gold in World of Warcraft and make mm-hmm. a living doing that. So this is different because it's it's on a public blockchain as opposed to like owned and operated by, you know, a single company within their universe. Exactly. Yeah. And and honestly, like when I'm explaining NFTs, a good analogy or comparison I like to make is like World of Warcraft is a great example. Like if you had a World of Warcraft account and owned a bunch of in-game items and they shut down, their server shut down and they stopped operating, all of those items would essentially be deleted. But with NFTs, since mm-hmm. they're stored on the blockchain, like there's there's not really any way to delete them. They will exist forever on the blockchain. So it's kind of something I've been um, looking forward to for a long time, like more mainstream games like maybe World of Warcraft or Fortnite uh, or a lot of these these big players who use in-game items switching to some sort of blockchain to keep all of their in-game items on just so they have permanence. And even if the game kind of like loses popularity and shuts down or whatever reason, um, all of the in-game items live on. So yeah, it's it, it's basically like having a profile in-game with these items, but someone has the ability to take them away from you is not very secure. That's great. Evan, how did you uh, get into NFTs? Was it working at Gemini and hearing about NFT Gateway or was it before that? Did you hear about the Top Shot stuff? Um, I think the first time I heard about NFTs was with, with CryptoKitties. I think that was the first thing that became popular. And then Nifty Gateway came aboard Gemini, I think over a year ago now, probably maybe 18 months. And then the whole team has been working really hard to, to put together the, the product that they have now. And it's really been the past like three, four months, the entire NFT space with, with Top Shot and, and Nifty Gateway has really blown up. And it's cool to see the the progression because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of always have, have seen it coming that this like this meteoric rise, but this past few months has been pretty cool to see. And it's Pretty cool to see the next like six months where it's going to go. It's just more and more people coming into the space and more and more celebrities. Yeah, that's wild. Tommy, you guys get people like The Weeknd and Steve Aoki and Dead Mouse and all kinds of Paris Hilton I saw the other day. Are they coming to you? Or are you finding them? How are you describing this to them as an opportunity? It's been a little bit of both. Honestly, in the earlier days, it was a grind of like us reaching out to people just because the tech was so unknown. You know, like we had to really reach out to people, hope to get in touch, and then explain it to them, and then kind of hope that it clicked and that they wanted to get into the space. Whereas now, like, I think there's a lot of education being spread around about NFTs, and there's a lot of eyes on the space right now. So it's more of the other way around now, where people do come to us and ask to get on the platform, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse, because there are a ton of really amazing people that we would like to work with. But at the same time, like the demand is so high that we're not able to work with with everyone. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, there, there's definitely a ton of eyes on the space right now. And it's been really unprecedented seeing the amount of big names who are interested in getting involved. Do you feel like this is a continuation of kind of, you know, s- software is eating the world, you know, where like now we're turning things that once upon a time would have been physical, like a baseball card or, you know, a one of a kind vinyl pressing into, you know, a digital artifact where it's like, hey, everybody can listen to this track, but like one person has something made of code that is now unique and therefore more valuable? Yeah, exactly. I I think honestly, like over the last 10, 15 years, there's just been such a tech and digital boom. And that's going to continue, you know, that's not really going to slow down. And NFTs are, I think, perfect for that, just because this concept of owning a digital item is so foreign. But once you get into the space, it, it really makes sense. And like the technology works and you are able to own digital items, prove that you own them, show where they originated from, and track its every move on the blockchain. 
Do you think we could talk a little bit about what it's like, you know, from the software development side? I think people who listen to this podcast might be interested to know if you want to create one of these, what do you have to do? How long does it take? What kind of code are you using? Are there APIs involved? Maybe just give us a little primer. Like if I wanted to mint an NFT, what what would I need to know how to do? Yeah, if you wanted to make uh, or mint an NFT a couple of years ago, it would have been a lot more difficult. There weren't really plat- many platforms uh, around allowing you to do it. You kind of just needed to hook up to the Ethereum network and do it yourself. But now there are some platforms out there that allow you to just go in and, and smooth the process of actually minting an NFT. OpenSea is a really great example. You do have to have a wallet set up, but they have something called lazy minting where they pass off the uh, the minting cost of the token to the person purchasing it like mm. once they purchase it. So you don't even need to pay gas costs up front. Super easy to use. Yeah, OpenSea is definitely a good place to get started if you want to just like get your feet wet, learn about the tech and and maybe take a stab at minting an NFT. Rarible is another really good platform for that, although they do make you pay for the, the gas fees. And just to explain, the gas fees basically is the fee that you need to pay to use the Ethereum network, which is completely decentralized. So any of these tokens that are being minted or transactions that are occurring on the Ethereum network require these gas fees, uh, basically as a, a toll to get those tokens authenticated have them actually be minted onto the blockchain properly and like have permanence on the blockchain. So that is why I like OpenSea though, they like anyone can just go and mint and you don't really need to worry about those gas fees. Did you both see the uh, SNL NFT skit? And when you saw, what did you think? Were you like, all right, <laughs> this is the peak or were you excited that it was a lot more mainstream? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was cool to see. It kind of like sent some waves through the space. I think like... More than just the SNL skit, the last two months, just seeing the amount of people getting involved, names that I honestly never thought would get involved, or, or at least not for a very long time, have been getting into the space, has just been super cool. SNL, obviously. Um, when I first saw that, I was I was dying laughing. I thought it was really funny, and like they actually did a pretty good job explaining it, although I still think most people watching it would have been like, what? what is going on. Yeah, it kind of takes a lot longer than like two, three minutes to explain. But I thought it was really cool and just kind of a surreal moment seeing someone as big as SNL, like actively promoting and creating a skit about uh, NFTs. And if we can back up for a second, I've heard a few people mention this um, on some of the finance and tech podcasts that I listen to. It seems like there's now a little bit of friction around this, these, these gas fees. People are concerned that, right, like you said, like maybe minting something or, or trying to do something through that network is now becoming prohibitively expensive in some some cases. You know, you pay a twenty percent surcharge if you want to mint something associated with certain activities. And I was hearing that okay, well now other you know networks and coins and people are going to try to come up with better solutions, or Ethereum should come up with a better solution. Is this a software problem? Is this something people are working on trying to figure out? Like how can they expand essentially the capacity on the network or lower the fees for people who want to work through that network? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely being worked on. There's a new phase of Ethereum in development called Ethereum 2.0, which is basically just going to ease the amount of traffic on the Ethereum network by expanding it into separate blockchains. Yeah, basically right now, everything all runs on the Ethereum blockchain. And the reason why gas prices are getting higher is when more people come onto the onto the blockchain and are sending transactions through, minting tokens, etc., it really increases the traffic on the network and it like becomes very congested. Yeah, it, it takes a longer time for tokens to be minted or transactions to pass through. 
Uh, and when there's a higher demand, uh, the price required to to mint these tokens goes up, basically. So, yeah, it's actually been a problem in the last week or so. It had been good for like two months before the last week, but lately it's been spiking a little bit. Yeah, it, it can cause some problems for us as a platform, honestly, because, you know, anytime we, we do these drops and release these artworks, we we have to mint all the tokens. So That makes sense. And so when you y'all mint the tokens, the who is the cost of that lying on? Is that the purchaser or the or Nifty or the artist who's uh, paying for that initial gas fee? That's Nifty. We we take on all of the gas fees. Yeah, as a platform, we've tried to build it out such that you don't really need to have a, a deep knowledge of NFTs or Ethereum to get involved, and there's no upfront cost. So when we work with an artist, all all we really do is work with them, get them to submit their artworks, and then we actually handle the minting of the tokens and cover all of the gas costs. So there's not really any cost for them. They don't have to worry about like the tech side of actually minting the tokens. It's really just creating the artwork, sending it over to us, and we um, we ease the transition for them and actually handle everything on the tech side. Cool. Yeah. Evan, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, I'm the uh, lead data analyst at Gemini. At the analytics team, we kind of handle all the internal product reporting, all the regulatory reporting that comes with a, with a crypto company, as well as any of the kind of data questions that come up with the, with the org, um, whether customer onboarding problems or, or trying to optimize a certain product. So it's a pretty, pretty horizontal uh, function and team. How much of an overlap is there between, and I don't know if this is something that both of you observe, between the community at Gemini, like the type, the people that are using the Gemini app and the community on Nifty Gateway? Is it is there a big overlap? Is it completely different people? Yeah, well, there's, there's a bifurcation between the two apps, but there is, I don't know the exact percentage, but th- there is some overlap in, in usage um, between Nifty and, and Gemini. And maybe in the, I think in the future, there's talks of trying to make it a little easier um, going from maybe one to the other. So I, I downloaded Gemini. Yeah, this is a very self-promotional <laughs> and circular podcast. But ben is going to ask you a support is, question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I downloaded it. And the thing that really blows me away as a former sort of like tech and business writer is it feels like the world of cryptocurrency has gotten so big and and sort of gained so much momentum that finance now feels like, oh, we've got to follow. Like we can't, we can't miss out on this. We already missed out. I mean, Coinbase went public. They did a direct listing. You know, the banks are are nowhere. They, they, all the big exchanges don't 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 offer crypto. And so there's now a lot of big institutions and pension funds and banks that are trying to buy into this world, but they are held back by laws and regulations. So on Gemini, I can go on. I can buy a stable coin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar. So it's, it stays around roughly a dollar. I mean, you know, the smart contract's not perfect, but more or less. And then it pays me. 7.4% interest, which is just bananas. I mean, to put that in perspective, I can't get 1% interest on my money from Goldman Sachs and Chase Bank and you name it. I mean, I, I, nothing like that. So I guess I'm curious, like, what do you attribute that that huge difference to? Like, where is that edge that crypto has over traditional finance coming from? Because it, as a consumer, it's kind of I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's wonderful. It's the only place that I know to get that kind of return these days. Got it. Yeah. I, I'm also, uh, in the spirit of self-promotion, I'm also leveraging Gemini Earn, my funds. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, to give, give background on that, on that 7.4%, we partner with a company called Genesis and they will lend, you know, the crypto that you have 
and they will make APR on that and then pay pay us a fraction. But in terms of why that's there's such a disparity um, between the kind of crypto lending and traditional banking lending, I don't know all the answers. Um, I know specifically supply and demand. Like it seems like there is just a a big demand right now, and that's why you see different crypto assets having different APY because there'll there'll be different levels of demand. So that's kind of the the supply and demand aspect. I think is the is the right. root of it in right. terms of like why there is such a disparity. I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I don't know if there's mm-hmm. some efficiencies to be had in the traditional banking right. or or what have you, but yeah. So if you're listening to the podcast, you probably work in software or know someone who does. They can now check out Stack Overflow for Teams. That's a private internal instance of Stack Overflow just for your company or organization, your group of friends learning to code. You can share questions and answers, build up a great database of knowledge that makes it easier for people to solve their own problems. You just search, find a solution, leave an answer. That way, everybody in your Stack Overflow for Teams instance can collaborate remotely and asynchronously. You get up to 50 seats for free forever, so you can try it out, see if you like it. Head on over to stackoverflow.blog teams and tell them the podcast folks sent you. And so I guess, Evan, did you and Sarah grow up together and did you learn data science and computers together? Were you guys competing on like an SNES or how did, how did you two both end up in this world of technology? <laughs> yeah, well, Sarah, um, Sarah's my older sister. She got into, I guess you'd say the engineering, computer science space first. And I kind of, I mean, as a story a lot of people, I like the math and sciences and kind of followed in the footsteps, took data science or took the computer science classes in high school and, and went to school for computer engineering and then just went into the to the data aspect. I had a, a data role previous to Gemini and then got more into the data analytics side. I'm at Gemini and kind of really loved being in the space and loving to solve data problems. And so what, you know, like languages and frameworks do you utilize? You Python or R? Like what do you play around with on the data side these days? Yeah, so we have um our kind of data lake we have at, at Gemini, we use Snowflake. So there's a lot of different data sources from our internal databases to, to vendors that we use. We pipe into Snowflake and then we'll do ELT within Snowflake to, to build dimensional models. And then we'll report on these dimensional models in Looker. We'll report to the business, different business functions, um, different reports and dashboards. And we're leveraging a, cool, a tool called uh, Databricks to spin up some data science models things like LTV, um, different churn analysis. Yeah, so that's that's overview of the of the tech stack we're using right now. So back to NFTs, uh, Evan and Tommy, what are your favorite NFTs that you own? That is a good question. Yeah. Let me pull up my profile here. I, I've got a lot. I don't, yeah, I don't like picking too many favorites just because all the artists I work with, I really love their work. But uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I own a, a piece from Pac from one of his earliest drops. On Nifty Gateway, he recently did a, a really big drop with Sotheby's that was super successful, and he's just kind of been an, an innovator in the space. Definitely one of my one of my favorite pieces. I own some of Stephen Baltai's earliest work. He was he was one of the first big digital artists to really take a chance on Nifty Gateway and uh, the NFT space. So definitely rewarded him. I mean, he's an OG with us, and he's had a lot of successful drops. Um, so definitely love some of the the early stuff I own from him. Let's see what else. I own a piece from 
Bill Ellis, really, really, really talented digital artist. Yeah, love his work. And um, also in a piece by uh, Victor Mascara from his first drop that he did with us, he's kind of had a meteoric rise over the last like six months. So definitely uh, happy that I got to grab one of his earliest pieces. Do you have like if I do you have like a, a public profile? Like if I wanted to see, oh, what does Tommy, you know, collect or own? And I I hop in there, do I see this collection that you're kind of relating to us now? Yeah, definitely. It's um niftygateway.com slash profile slash Tommy. That's those are all the artworks that I own on Nifty. I also do buy some artworks on other platforms as well. Uh Super Rare is one of my favorites. Definitely love some of the artists that they have on there. They just have a great platform in general. And yeah, those are those are kind of the two main ones. Obviously, I'm biased towards buying on Nifty, but yeah, Super Rare is another one I dabble with. And I think I have a little bit of more of a modest collection than Tommy, but I'll say for my favorites, I think my first, the first one I bought, I think I'm kind of the sentimental value, the uh, Goldward Tigs. I think that's that's one of my favorites. And then the other one, I have a Ferocious Drip. And I always think that's like the coolest nest day I have and, and probably cooler than I am. <laughs> probably cooler than I am. He just kind of bobs his head and twirls around. So yeah, those are probably two of the favorites for my my collection. We were talking a while back about Electric Objects, which is a great Kickstarter and like a New York startup that kind of tried to do a way to, to have digital art live on your walls. Does this stuff live IRL for either of you? Like, do you display it in your home or on your background, on your computer, or like on a, on a screen? Or does it, is, does it just live sort of like in the digital space of, oh, here, here's my profile? You know, if you're looking at me on Twitter and you go and check out my profile, now you know what I've got. I'd say for me, like 99% of my stuff just lives on my profile. I do have a few digital tablet displays from a company called Infinite Objects who we work with. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty small. They like fit on your desk. They're around like eight and a half inches by five and a half inches, but super cool. And I have, I believe three of them definitely trying to get some more uh, over the next couple of months. They're actually pretty cheap and it's like a, a cool and easy way to display the artwork without having to do like a full TV setup or something like that. Yeah, those are really cool. I didn't know those existed. I was like, someone needs to make one of those. And now I found those infinite objects and they're really neat. All right. Well, let me continue to be sort of the naysayer and just, just poke holes at this. Everyone and you can tell needs me why that. Not, but everyone loves yeah, that. Yeah, everyone needs that. But I, I saw stories of artists saying like, well, people were just grabbing art off the internet, you know, minting it and then selling it. They didn't actually own, you know, the underlying asset or the copyright. I'm sure, you know, Nifty Gateway does, does work to, you know, prevent that sort of stuff through its own auctions. But in sort of the broader web, you know, like what is helping to ensure that tokenizing things is done in sort of like a legitimate way and that, you know, the original creator is the one who kind of gets to have control over that? Yeah, I think it's tough because technically any artist could attempt doing this. I would say one thing that really, really helps us is just the fact that we curate very heavily. We're really selective that we work with. So if if a situation like that ever were to arise, it would have to be an artist who have been doing it for a very long time mm-hmm. and kind of like it slipped through the, cla- the the cracks and they got away with it and built a career around it, which doesn't happen often. So yeah, I would say like curation is definitely our biggest tool against that. But that being said, it can happen every now and then. And it's unfortunate when it does, but same thing can be said for the, uh, the fine art world, uh, you know, so we definitely keep an eye out for it and we try to do as much vetting as possible. Yeah, I guess that's true. There is a lot of there's a lot of fake art out there. 
There is a lot of fake art out there. I think there was recently a really great documentary about it that I will find a link to on Netflix. And the only thing I thought about the whole time I was watching it was just like NFTs fix this whole thing <laughs> about like they fix the whole thing of the idea of, you know, not really knowing what an artist did in their lifetime, having several sources to verify. But it turns out all those sources could be faked or fooled and things like that. And it can be kind of a domino right. effect. But that's the cool thing mm -hmm. about the blockchain. Evan, Tommy, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about like where you think we are, you know, whether the value of this stuff, the currency or the art, you know, has run a little bit ahead of the reality of, you know, the, you know, what people are getting out of this. If th that is to say there's a little bit of a bubble, or if you think, you know, we're just at, we're just in the first inning of a much, much bigger transformation here. Yeah. I think when you look at how many people are in the space now, um, I think if you see some of the like charts that float around Twitter of um, how many people are in the space now compared to maybe six months ago or the volume in the space, like some of the, some of the artworks are worth a lot of money. I mean, you saw the, the Beeple um, artwork went, went a lot uh, for $69 million on, on a Christie's. I think we are super early. That being said, there might be some, some of the pieces they might be, be selling for a lot and there might be that natural fluctuation, but that's I, something similar happened with, with Bitcoin three years ago, where more people started to get into the space and there started to be a little run up and then just a natural little bit of a, a recession back to the, the curve. So mm -hmm. I think there might be like a little bit of a run up, but in turn, when you look at the amount of people in the space now, and then coupled with the publicity it's, it's getting, I think we're super early. And I think over the next like six, 12 months, we'll just see like more growth in the space. That, that being said, there might be certain like pieces that will come back down, down to earth that are like other value. Right. But then again, like if you, if you own some of these pieces by these kind of OG artists, like down the road, like they might, they might have a, maybe a recession over a couple months, but a couple of years, if you own one of these like pack pieces or people pieces, ferocious pieces, you'd be like a kind of an NFT OG there. Collectibles, art, and finance seem to be the places where the blockchain and crypto uh, are getting very hot, where there's a lot of interest, a lot of companies, many developers going to work at these places. Do you see other other areas where there's you know utility? Do you or and, and do you think we're going to have like mainstream, you know, in the sense of like on one out of every four smartphone kind of crypto stuff in the near future, um, or do you think we're we're sort of like still in a build phase and and, and maybe need a, another five or 10 years to get to mainstream adoption, kind of like we did with the early internet. Like it was hot, you know, everybody who, who was interested, you know, was starting a website and a web company in 1994. And then the bottom kind of fell out. I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I think the, I think the market's really going to come and go in waves. I don't think it's going to just be like a, a steady growth upwards and upwards until we reach a plateau. I think it's going to be really big spikes up and then kind of spikes down. And that's kind of what we've been seeing for the last year and a half. And I think it's going to continue that way. And like, yeah, right now we are in a little bit of a downtrend after seeing like astonishing meteoric growth over the last um, two, three months. So I think it's not going to just like be on a, a perfect upward path to mainstream adoption. There's going to be ups and downs, but long-term I am really, you know, optimistic about the space. And the main reason being is just because like, if you ask someone if they've heard of an NFT, they might say yes. If you ask them to like explain what an NFT is, they probably won't know how. So I think there's a, a big learning curve here. And once you know mm. the mainstream population really starts to understand NFTs, I think that's when we can you know get to mainstream adoption. 
Evan, what about you? Yeah, I think well, uh, some of the finance stuff, especially, I think when I kind of joined Gemini like three years ago, we were, we're basically a crypto exchange. Like you bought and sold Bitcoin, Ethereum on Gemini. Now, Gemini, along with a few other companies, you kind of have a, a suite of banking products now. You have you have a savings account um, with Gemini Earn. You can There's a, a credit card wait list. You can um, have a Gemini credit card. There's there's staking in the space. There's lending. There's like a lot of all the explosion with DeFi as well, which has been like separate from the NFT explosion. There's a lot of just like decentralized right. finance and and taking taking the funds out of out of the banks and being your own banker, so to speak. You know, another thing that sticks out is you hear things that happen like early on in the space with crypto or maybe less regulated exchanges like losing a bunch of customer funds. Um, so people maybe aren't as apt to put a, lo- a good chunk of their. Right. Uh, I remember Mount Gox. Yeah, I remember. Mount Gox. Um, and then so people you know are less apt to they they might trust a, a chase saving account more than more than putting their funds on a coinbase or a gemini but i think with the there's that learning curve like a similar learning curve um with the crypto space with nfts like people people know people have heard of bitcoin have heard of nfts more so now but i think they're just starting to really right. learn how it works and i think that'll just increase adoption as we move on All right, everybody, it is that special time of the episode. We are going to shout out the winner of a Lifeboat Badge Award. A Lifeboat Badge on Stack Overflow means you came in uh, and took a question with a score of negative three or less, and you gave an answer that got to a score of 20 or more. So thanks for coming in and saving some knowledge, helping to spread it around the internet. Today's award goes to Oriole, and the question is, what is the difference between remove and remove child method in JavaScript? So thanks, Oriole. And we will share that in the show notes if you're curious to find out. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. And you can always email us podcast at stackoverflow.com. And I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on GitHub at Sarah Joe. Tommy, who are you and where can people find you on the internet if you want them to? Oh, yeah, I definitely want them to. I'm Tommy Kimmelman, <laughs> uh, Head of Artist Relations at Nifty Gateway. You can find me on Twitter at Tommy Kimmelman. And if we want, if people are out there, because we have a lot of people that listen that might not have an NFT, that where would you tell them to get started? Go check out the drops on Nifty. Yeah, definitely check out the drops on uh, Nifty Gateway. Awesome. And Evan, who are you and where can we find you? I know where to find you. <laughs> I am Evan Chips. I'm the lead analyst at uh, Gemini. And you can find me at Twitter at, at Evan underscore Chips with a Z. 